just before we dismiss the band, just let's take a second or two. Let's just lift our hands to heaven. Lord, we are grateful for your presence here this morning. I ask that you prepare our hearts and our minds and our souls to hear your word this morning. Let it impact us so that when we leave this place, we are not changed just by mental assent or by emotional well-being, but that we are transformed by your word to take action into our lives and into the world outside. Reveal us, reveal to us your nature this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, guys. You can take your seats. Hello. Are you relaxed? <laughs> Funny, I'm quite relaxed. The title of my message this morning is Read God's Word. Your life depends on it. That's a fairly strong statement. And I want to make sure that straight off the bat you don't misunderstand what I'm saying there. Because it sounds it could sound as though I'm saying you need to read God's word because God will punish you if you don't, and you might die. That's not what I'm saying. The purpose of my message this morning is to let us know that life, and the life that Jesus wants us to have, and we know what sort of life that is because he said, I come to bring life and life more abundantly. That abundant life relies on us actually knowing what God's word tells us about God's promises. Our life, if we want a good one, depends on knowing God's Word. And so I just want to encourage you this morning that it's not about, you know, you're not a good Christian if you don't read the Bible. You just probably won't be a very happy one. And if that's what you want, then you obviously don't need to hear this message. Um, but let, let's, let's turn to the Bible. Let's look in the book of Joshua. Let's, let's talk about what the, what the Bible says about reading Scripture. And I've just got two, two key scriptures for you this morning. Joshua 1 verse 8 says, Study this book of instruction continually. How often do we have to do it? Continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. That seems that's pretty clear cut, isn't it? And yet, in the New Testament, we can read in James, in James 1 verse 22, it says, but don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves, for if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and then forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free... And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Now, there are an incredible number of things we can take away from those two scriptures regarding the importance of the Bible in our lives. But there are three keys, I believe, that can revolutionize how we interact 
with God's word. The first one is, I don't know whether you noticed in, in those passages, but one of them referred to reading. But in the other one, and funnily enough, it's in the New Testament one, it talks about listening and hearing God's word and doesn't actually even necessarily say it's written down. So meditation on the word can actually come from both reading the word and from hearing the word. And depending on what sort of personality you are, that can actually be quite important. The fruit of meditation on the word is not knowledge, it's obedience. I'll repeat that. Obedience is the fruit of meditation on God's word. That's not a popular thought with a lot of people. And the, other, the third thing is that God is not actually just talking to the particular individuals that are referenced in these scriptures. There is a wider thing, and we'll explore that in a moment. But the first one, I want to talk about this, this whole idea of meditating on the Word of God. What does it mean to meditate? What, what should we be doing to get the Word of God into us? And it, it's hard to know sometimes. A, a, a traditional church way of discovering how the people in the church are, are true believers and are, are worthy of... Um, of, of being called faithful has often been you look around and you, and you say well let's look at Brendan he comes to church every Sunday tick uh, he goes to a connect group tick he comes to prayer and he reads his Bible he must be a leader he must be a mature spiritual person so we'll give him a job and that, that has traditionally been how churches measure spiritual maturity in their people um, and the positions that they should occupy. It's basically just turn, based on whether you turn up or not. And sometimes you discover that turning up to church every Sunday does not necessarily lead to spiritual maturity. And so we can't actually use that sort of thing as a gauge. And in the same way, reading your Bible and gaining biblical knowledge does not actually necessarily produce spiritual growth. You can read the Bible every year for 10 years and still not grow spiritually. You might know a bit more about the Bible, but just having enough information is insufficient for spiritual growth. Uh, am I depressing anybody? No, you're, just, you're very quiet. Are you all there? Good, good, good. Okay, so... True growth involves a deeper understanding of spiritual truths and the application of those truths to your own life. Pastor Vicky is very fond of saying this little phrase, which is extremely annoying. You can be having a discussion with Pastor Vicky and she will, from her slightly lower position, <laughs> look up at you and say, if you know and you don't do, you don't know. You think, damn, why would she say something like that? But she's right. If we have knowledge and we don't apply the knowledge, what use is the knowledge? So if we know and we don't do, we don't know. So in terms of, spit, of spiritual, spiritual growth, we actually need to do things with what we know. Western Christianity has a problem called the bloated Christian syndrome. And this syndrome, members are fed a lot of great information every week. And yet many people emerge from this experience having retained almost nothing of what they have heard. Why? 
I mean, some people looked at me blankly earlier when I talked about that marvellous message on worship, which was only three weeks ago. Hey, what, you did? What was that about? What did he say then? And you know, I make the mistake sometimes of getting up here and say, remember what I preached last week? And it's this glassy look that's like... Hmm. So pretend, I mean, this is why. Pretend, for instance, that you're in a typical Western church this Sunday. Now, we, we know you're not, but... So, but you, it, it's very similar. You, you might hear some music, followed by a 40-minute message about a topic. Don't worry, you're not going to hear a 40-minute message this morning. Perhaps you also head over to Sunday school because you're a parent and you sit in on and hear a message from the Sunday school curriculum as well. So already you've heard two messages, so you've diluted the power of the first one by half already. And the next thing you do is, of course, there's a second service in the evening and the pastor preaches on a different topic. So you've diluted the power of the first message by four. And of course, you're a faithful person, so you go to a connect group during the week and you study another message. And you've now diluted Sunday's message, first message by eight times. And because you're a faithful people, you go to a prayer group and you might meditate on a different scripture there and you've diluted the message by 16. And of course, you're in a discipleship group because uh, you're one of the faithful ones and you go to all, all of the meetings that are there. And so by the end of the week, you come back to the Sunday service and you've diluted the power of that first message 32 times because we're full of knowledge but we haven't had time or the inclination to actually apply what we're doing. So can you see there might be a problem? Or don't you care? I mean, I want a coffee. We can go. So by the time you get around to Sunday, you can't recall a single point from last week's sermon, let alone actually remember all of the biblical truth you've been exposed to all that week. You could, have, you could have studied verses from the New and the Old Testament and combined the both, but because you've received so much information, you haven't applied any of them. Now, am I saying that reading the Bible too much is bad? No. Don't get me wrong. It's not an excuse to say, oh, well, okay, we should stop reading it because it's, it's bad for us. The Bible is God's word and it is life and nourishment for a hungry soul. The problem is in how we engage the Bible. We've bought into this fallacy that we grow by the introduction of new information alone. We focus on new teachings and more information rather than allowing a single teaching to saturate our minds by meditating on it and applying it to our lives. And this is different from first century Judaism and Christianity. Jewish rabbis and the disciples in the early church taught much differently. They believed that rehearsing older lessons was just as important as learning new ones, if not more important. Jews read through the Torah, or the, the first five books of the Bible, every day. And it wasn't unusual by the time a, a Jewish child was 13 to have memorised at least 80% of that. Now that, that's, a, that's a lot. I mean, they're, they're, they're not small books. 80% at age 13, by the time they were, they were ad adults, they knew that plus you know, books of the prophet and things, and they could quote them to you. I mean, that's frighteningly good. Um, most of us can't do that. So their goals were actually different to ours. 
They actually relied on re repetition and recitation for understanding because they wanted to actually apply God's word to their life. Uh, it's interesting that the religious leaders of Jesus' day accused him of nullifying old truths by proposing new ones. And we talk about Jesus as, as a radical. But he stated in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Don't misunderstand why I've come. He said, I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writing of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. So Jesus was clear that he wasn't bringing something radically new. He was actually bringing about the fulfillment of all God had revealed before he came. So where did our Western cultural focus on learning new things and getting lots of information come from? Yes, we can blame them again. It's the Greeks. The Greeks and the Romans. Remember Paul was invited to the uh, Areopagus or the Areopagus, or I can't remember how you pronounce that one, but all the, all the Greek scholars were, were hungry for information. If it had been in modern day, they'd have been there with their phones and everything, sort of, uh, sort of asking him questions that they'd got off Google because they wanted new information, new answers, and they were intrigued by new knowledge. We would have called them information junkies today. And there's, there's a book called Reaching Out Without Dumbing Down, a theology uh, of worship for the turn of the century culture. And it states that television has habituated its watchers to a low information action ratio that people are accustomed to learning good ideas, even from sermons, and then doing nothing about them. And that leads to the second point. That obedience is the fruit of meditating on the Word of God. One of their problems with modern Christianity is not that we lack knowledge, because we know an awful lot about an awful lot of things. The gap is between what we know and what we obey. We've educated ourselves beyond our obedience. You see, the biblical model for growth is a bit like a window cleaner. Have you, se have you seen those platforms they lower down the sides of buildings and, and people clean the windows? And if you think of one of the ropes is the Bible. And as we read the Bible, we get to know God. And the more we get to know God, the more we get to love God. And the other rope is obedience. And so the more we get to know God, the more we get to love God, the more we obey God. And if those things are kept level, as we come up the building, we actually find that we're coming closer to God and God manifests himself more in our lives. And so as we're, as we're reading the Bible, we're loving God and we're obeying God, and we're, we're getting closer and closer to God. But as soon as we stop obeying God, we love God and we know more about God, the thing slips in and we slide off the end. And we don't get any closer to God because we're hanging by our fingertips from this thing saying, help, help, something's gone wrong. And it's not because we don't know about God. It's not because we don't love God. It's because we've stopped obeying God. And so we need to redress the balance in our lives and take the information that we currently have about God, put as much faith as we have in as much of Jesus as we know, and let him take it from there as we yield our life in obedience to him. We don't actually have to know more to be able to do something. In James chapter 2 and verse 21, it says, Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, it is, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. 
And so it happens just as the scripture said, Abraham believed God. God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we're shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Do you know when the, the first use of the Hebrew word faith is in the, in the Old Testament? It's in a really strange place. It's in, in, in Exodus. And it's the story of the battle of Joshua against the Amalekites. And who remembers this one? So Moses goes up on the hill to pray. And he's got his staff in his hand. And as he lifts the staff, the Israelites win. And as he gets tired, have you ever tried doing that for any length of time? About five minutes later, he starts to lower his hands and the Amalekites start to win. And so he, he, he sees that God is, is requiring something from him. And so he's struggling to keep this staff up there. So Aaron and her are up there. And well, let, let's read it. Um, as long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, this is Exodus 17:11, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. And Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and her found a stone for him to sit on. And they stood each side of Moses holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. And as a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. The Hebrew word for faith in this passage is actually rendered as steady. So Abraham kept the faith by keeping his hands up in the air. It can also be translated as steadfastness. James 2.26 says, Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith or faithfulness is dead without good works. Romans 1.17 says, The good news tells us how God made us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faithfulness. As the scriptures say, it's through faith that a righteous person has life. And Paul's not just coming up with that. He's actually quoting Habakkuk 2.4, which says, Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteousness will, righteous will live by their faithfulness in God. And so we've got to look carefully at this word faith or faithfulness. Because when we look at faith, how would we say, what's the opposite of faith? For most of us, if, if we said you know, what, what's the opposite of faith? People would say unbelief, lack of trust in God. Would that be fair? Because you know, if you don't have faith, you, you don't trust, you don't believe. But it, when you look at these verses where the word faith is used, then what we actually notice here is that that's not the case. It's not a question of unbelief. It says the opposite of faith is disobedience or disloyalty. There's an important revelation for us here. Faith is not just believing the facts despite contrary evidence. Faith is not just believing facts despite contrary evidence. It is obeying someone in spite of consequences. It's faithfulness. Faith is demonstrated by imitating God. The Jews devoted time to studying God in order to imitate him. They opened the scriptures, took a close look at what God did. He created in Genesis, therefore we should be creative. He rested after creation, therefore we should rest. He visited the sick with Abraham, he cared for his flock, he rescued his people, and on and on. And so they, they looked at what God did. And even Jesus, 
What did Jesus say to his disciples? Did he say, do that, do this, go and, go and try that out? He said, follow me, do what I do, talk like I talk, live like I live, and love as I love. He asked them to imitate him. So the next time we read the Bible, let's not just look at what God says, but observe what God, and, and Jesus in particular, and observe what Jesus did, and let's imitate what he did. Imitation, obedience, is the fruit of meditating on the word of God. The third thing is God's not just talking to individuals. It's very easy if we get up uh, Joshua 1.8 again. I mean, he's talking to Joshua here. He says, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night. Don't let it get out of your sight. And, you'll, you'll be... and it's easy for us to think, well, of course, Joshua's just taken over from Moses. So God's talking to him and says, look, you've got a very important position. I'm going to smuggle you this little Gideon's Bible. And I want you to sneak away every day and I want you to study it and meditate. And you will be successful. You'll lead the land of Israel uh, and everything will be great. And so it's easy to think, well, okay, phew. Dodged a bullet on that one. Only Joshua has to do this. It was a message from God for the whole people of Israel. It wasn't just to Joshua. In James, he's talking about you know, what happens when we, we meditate on the word of God and don't just hear the word God. Just to, he's not talking to one person. He's talking to everybody. We're actually called as a body of Christ to be aware and understand what God's word is telling us. And to actually obey it, not just as individuals, but as a group. The, the, the Bible was written to cultural groups. It was read out aloud. The, the letters that Paul wrote to the churches, it's very easy for us to, to get this idea that the disciples were on, on a, on a book-building mission. That they sort of thought, well, okay, um, we've got the Gospels down. Um, and, and the book of Acts, uh, Luke's wandering around writing that. So how about we have some... Let's call the next one Letters to the Corinthians. So, Paul, you sit down, you write some letters about some really good theological stuff, and uh, we'll put that in after, um, after Acts or somewhere in there. We, we'll decide on the order later. Like they were trying to build a Bible, and that, they weren't. Paul's letters are actually what's known as ad hoc. Who's ever come across the term ad hoc? Me, I always thought that meant a bit frivolous. But ad hoc is actually in response to a need. Ad hoc is something that you're presented with that you respond to. And so Paul wrote his letters in response to a need that the church faced at the time. They, they, he wasn't building a Bible. So he, he, the letters went out to, the church, to a church and what happened was that church read it out to everybody. Not just once. They read these letters out at, at, at meetings. And people copied the letters and took them to other churches and said, hey, read this stuff. Let's get this stuff into us. And, so, and then they memorized them. And so it wasn't just individuals. It wasn't just for the preacher. Paul didn't appoint somebody, just, just read that, um, put it on the podcast, and if anybody wants to read it later, then that's fine. But uh, and next week I'll send you a new one. It was a lot different to that. The, the emphasis was that on groups of people got together and studied and obeyed the word of God in groups. We're all called to be readers of God's word because we're all called to obedience to God. But it's actually not just, it's not, and it's not just following the rules. I'm not here to say, look, this is the third rule of Christianity. You know, worship's rule number one, prayer's rule number two, and reading the word of God is rule number three. 
If you do all these things right, then you'll have a happy life and be right with God. I hope you haven't got that from what I've preached, because that's rubbish. <laughs> the thing is that if we have taken our ability to connect with God and are serious about forming a relationship with God, we will desire to worship. We will be excited about praying. And we will, you cannot get us out of God's word because it's so exciting to us because it's life-changing that, that dragging us out of the word of God should be harder than dragging us into it because it comes out of our relationship with God. It's not about rules and regulations. What we need to do is bring life into our lives. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. What is in your heart comes out and determines your life. Who'd like to have good stuff in their heart so that it comes out and gives them a great life? That's what's in the Word of God. If the course of our life is determined by what's in our heart, we'd better be damn sure that there's some good stuff in there. And so, I've talked about obedience I've talked about, I talked about the fact that next week, you're not going to remember anything I've talked about this week, <laughs> unless we actually take action to prevent that. So I, I want to leave you this morning with a couple of tips on how, how to actually get involved in reading the Bible. The, there are some great Bible apps. The first one, um, I've got a version Bible. Now, I find this is a great Bible app, and I am heartened... Every, every week, nearly every day, by the number of people I see on the app who are finishing or starting Bible reading plans. And I, I love it. And I get messages that say, congratulate this person for finishing the Bible plan. And if you've never seen my congratulations, that's because whenever I try to do it, the, the file says, error cannot complete. Uh, so can I just say right now, I congratulate every single one of you who's finished the Bible plan now in the past and in the future because for some reason my app doesn't allow me to put the congratulations thing in. So I haven't been ignoring you, if that's the case. Um, but if you don't know that app, get it for your phone, uh, for your tablet, for your computer. Um, they have some great Bible plans. It's a great way to get into reading the Bible on a regular basis. So that's one of them. Um, Plus the fact, the great thing about that is there's, there's a version community. As I said, you know, I get notifications that when people have started and finished certain things, uh, some people I think should slow down. Uh, the, the people who read three different Bible plans in a day, I'm thinking, get back to work. Um, <laughs> uh, no, don't, don't ever let, let me stop you doing that. The other thing, there's, a, there's a, an app called Logos, uh, which... Uh, is actually linked to our presentations in the morning. I don't know whether you know this, but Logos and Proclaim are actually part of the same group of companies. Um, and those, the uh, scriptures that come up on the screen, if you've got the Logos Bible software, will actually come up on your phone or tablet uh, during the service as they're brought up there as well, uh, which we used to think was a great thing until we realised that everybody doesn't bother with their apps anymore. They just look at the screen. Um, it even has great things like with the notices, uh, you can actually put the dates for the things straight into your uh, diary on your phone uh, through the, the Bible app. But the, the best thing about it is if you want to study the Bible, the, the Logos Bible app is actually a great tool for study. It will actually cost you money if you get the computer version, uh, although the app version is, is free. Um, but this, of course, is all about reading. And I know that there are some of you out there 
to whom picking up a book, turning pages and actually reading it is really, really hard to do. And in years past, I would have said, suck it up and just read the thing. Because, I, I mean, I love reading. Um, and not always the Bible. I'm actually a, a science fiction fan and um, I'd probably read on, on average about 100 science fiction books a year. Um, don't ask me where I find the time. Um, but I realise that for, for some people, reading is a, a, an anathema. Even words like that are an anathema to some people. Um, and looking back in, in history, of course, the Bible hasn't always been read. And there is a, a growing movement to actually help people hear the Bible. Because hearing the Bible, as I said earlier, is actually considered equivalent to reading the Bible in terms of being able to meditate on the Word. And there's this great app which is about to be released, and when I say about to be released, it's in June, called Dwell. And you can check the, the, the website there. And it's actually a Kickstarter project uh, which finished last week. They were after, well, there's a little video. I don't usually advertise software, but this is actually something which I think can powerfully help people who do not have the urge to actually read stuff. So let, let's hear what it's about. Before the scriptures were written down and read, people listened to them in the form of sayings, stories, or parables. The letters of the New Testament church, written by the early apostles, were actually meant to be read aloud so that people could listen to them. Fast forward to the 15th century. Gutenberg unveils the first Bible made from a printing press and forever changes the way we take in scripture. It's an amazing development, but one of the unintended consequences is this eventual loss of this oral tradition of listening to scripture with our ears. What Josh and I have discovered is that the right tool for scripture listening hasn't been built yet. Yes, we've had the Bible on tape. We've had the Bible on CD. And those were valuable. I'll explain efforts. what those are later. Those days are done. Now it's true that you can download some great Bible reading apps, and some of them have a listening component built into them. These apps have nailed the reading experience, but what hasn't been nailed yet is the listening experience. That's why we're creating Dwell, a new exclusive scripture listening app, a tool that not only helps us reclaim that oral tradition, but that also helps all of us cultivate a habit of listening to the Bible every day. Here are a few things that really excite us about Dwell. The first thing are the voices that will be reading the Bible. When we set out over a year ago, we didn't just look for one voice, we looked for multiple voices. And our number one requirement wasn't that they had to have this big, booming radio voice. Our number one requirement was that they had to love the Bible. And I think when you listen to the recordings, that comes through. We found four amazing voices. And the thing I love most about the app is that you can go inside and switch between voices anytime you want on the fly. Another thing we're really excited about is music. Now we want music in the app because we know music has the power to draw you in to the text. But we also know that music can distract. 
That's why we want something original, something that's tailor-made for listening to Scripture. And that's exactly what composer Chad Lawson is doing. He is creating beautiful and original pieces that don't distract. One of the cool things about Dwell is that it doesn't feel like your average Bible app. It feels more like a music app. We designed it that way because we want to give you an exclusive listening experience. One of the things you'll notice as soon as you open the app is all the album art. Every piece of album art that you see is designed to be a visual representation of what you're listening to. Every plan, playlist, story, or passage has been designed from scratch to complement your listening experience with a beautiful visual experience. The truth is, this is a huge task. It's a huge undertaking. It takes a lot to record the Bible. And we're not just recording it once, we're recording it four times. Lots of recording and even more editing. I edited out all the uh, Kickstarter sales pitch because it's now irrelevant. Um, but who's excited by the possibilities of an app like that? Now, unfortunately, of course, it's not released on, um, to the Apple Store until uh, June, so you've got a couple of months to wait, and apparently it's not available for Android until early 2019. Um, but uh, they exceeded their Kickstarter goals. They, they wanted to raise $50,000 uh, to get the New Testament and the Psalms and Proverbs up and running. Uh, they achieved their second and nearly their third to get the whole Bible up and running. Um, it's a subscription model. I think it's about uh, $30 US a year. Um, yes, there's, a, there's, a, there's an early bird uh, $20 a year one um, and uh, I think for, for those people who really struggle to read the Bible um, it sounds as though, I mean I know, I know they're selling something <laughs> uh, but it sounds as though they've thought uh, really well and hard about this so I, I would encourage you to actually take action um, gl glad that, I mean Wendy obviously knows about this have you have you ah You've, uh, have you pre-subscribed? <laughs> right. So, yeah, you, you can... Uh, I think that email address I had up there takes you to the, to the appropriate place. Um, now, if it's not, um, as I said, I've got, I've got no financial interest in this, so if it's not something that interests you, I'm, I'm not insulted that it's not your thing. Um, but I, I'm just try, trying to make sure that we don't come away from a lesson about reading God's Word without the tools to actually take it on board. Because I think that's, that regular Bible study is one of the hardest things in a busy life to get done. Um, especially with reading, because you know, it's not only just reading the Bible, it's then interpreting what you're reading and understanding what you're reading. And it all takes time. And so any tool that we can get into our hands which enables us to meditate on Scripture more, um, better, whatever, I think is an important thing to do. So if you're not a Bible reader, um, put, 
June the first, July the first in your diary, or I don't know what day in June it's actually available, but you should put it on your list to actually change something in your life regarding Bible reading. Um, if you're not, if you don't use the U version app or something similar, it's not the only one out there. That's just one of the most common ones that people use. Get an app, download it, start reading the Bible. Um, you know, if you find one that suits you better or whatever, I'm not selling any particular brand. But it's just so important because our life does depend on it. The, the life of a church, the life of a believer uh, can be changed by soaking and meditating in the Word of God. And so I can't encourage you more strongly to do that sort of thing because that's, I mean, you know, we've got that little symbol in the corner, I love my church because next Sunday is I love my church Sunday. And everything that we've talked about over the last three weeks about worship, about prayer, about the Word of God, is actually priming us to understand how as a community, how as a church community, we can actually be carrying out God's commission, his instructions for us as, as the kingdom of God, uh, as our church, what we're aiming for for this year, what we're planning to do, what, what uh, our discipleship strategy is, what we're hoping to achieve, all of those things come based on prayer, worship and the word of God. And the more we can get into those things, the more I believe that the vision that we have for this part of God's kingdom uh, can come to pass uh, more quickly, more effectively, and with the grace of God on it. And so I, I just encourage you, take, take something home from this. Don't go out the door and think, well, see what happens next week before I do anything. Do something. Obey God's word. If you want to get closer to God, now I, one of the things that sort of I actually thought was, it was a bit natural was that as I, as I met more and more mature Christians, They'd say things like, yep, uh, the longer I've been a Christian, the more I've, I've delved into the Word, the more I love God, the more I, I know about God, uh, and I feel sort of that my, my faith is strengthened. But you know, God doesn't speak to me. Um, you know, sometimes I don't feel that presence of God I did when I was first saved. And I, I actually grew up for many years thinking that this was sort of normal, that, that God basically, as you matured, God left you alone a bit more because he trusted you more. Um, if I was God, I wouldn't let my, myself out of my sight. Um, but I've come to realize that what it is is that we become bloated Christians. We know God, we love God, but we're not obeying God. And so we're not drawing closer to God. God is supposed to manifest himself more the more that we study the word of God, the more that we worship, the more that we pray. And I believe that the, the, the the thing that's missing from our lives that brings us that closeness to God is the fact that we're called to obey. And it's a word that people don't want to use anymore. It's been taken out of marriage vows. It's been sort of crossed out of all sorts. Because obey is, it means you have to do something. You're not the boss of me. Is the, the cat's cry of today's culture. Nobody can tell you what to do. That's oppression. That's discrimination. It's phobic in some way. If you tell somebody else that what they're doing is not right, you're a, you're a, a wrongophobe or a rightophobe, one of the two. <laughs> but we have to understand that God's culture is not the culture of the world and we are called to obey and obedience brings huge blessing. Can, can you all stand please?
As I finish, I'd just like to ask, you may be here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ. You don't worship him, you don't pray to him, you don't read God's word because you don't know about God. But perhaps something has sparked your interest or spoken to your heart this morning. You sort of think, I need to know who this Jesus person is. I need to get to know how to have him in my life. And if that's you, or you may know about Jesus, but you may recognize that perhaps you're not walking that life-giving path with Jesus that you should be. And to come to Jesus, all all we have to do is, is get his attention and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. In this church, we do that by praying a prayer which states that we open our hearts to his spirit to come in and lead us and guide us for the rest of our lives so that we can call ourselves a child of God. And I want to offer you an opportunity to do that this morning. If you're here and and you want to get to know Jesus Christ, you've perhaps never done it before or you know that you need to come back to him, I would love to pray that prayer with you to start you on that journey this morning. So can I ask everybody just to close their eyes for a moment? And if that's you this morning, while every eye is closed in this place, can you just raise your hand so that I can see it? I'd love to pray that prayer with you to invite Jesus into your life. Is there anybody here this morning who wants to do that? Awesome. Can I get you to open your eyes? And let's, before I finish, let's just pray. Lord, I thank you that you've given us your word in different ways, written and spoken. But from what we've heard this morning, I just thank you that we're going to do something about it. We're not going to be guilty of that crime of hearing but not doing. We proclaim our obedience to you this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.